Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. This morning, we are going to begin in our uh, year through Ephesians. Now, that's going to be, like, you know, like I said, that kind of sounds intimidating a little bit to hear the year through Ephesians. We are actually going to be spending uh, six months, at 26, 27 weeks in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be taking some breaks in between uh, throughout the year. Uh, but what I want to do is I kind of want to start a little bit differently than normal. I usually uh, will read the scripture and then pray, but it's going to be a little bit this morning before I get to my scripture. So I'm going to ask if you would to go ahead and bow your heads with me uh, this morning and let's pray over the word. God, thank you uh, for a new day. Thank you for an opportunity once again to be in your house, to worship your name uh, God, uh, this, this psalm just continues to go through my mind this morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Uh, so, Father, um, let us rejoice to be here this morning. Let us rejoice that we can watch online. Let us rejoice uh, in you in all situations, in all circumstances. And as the Apostle Paul says, that in all things I have learned to be content in you. So, Father, I pray for this message. I pray for those who will be hearing it, that, God, that you will open their ears, open their hearts and their minds and their spirits to receive your word. Father, I pray uh, for me now that you would, um, you would inspire me. Holy Spirit, let your word speak through me. Let your words be uttered with my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get into the book of Ephesians, I want to tell you, a little bit of a story to try to relate to you how uh, excited, how kind of giddy, how nervous, how a little bit anxious that I am for the book of Ephesians. And um, I'm going to take you back to high school, Ben. Now, there's going to be a couple uh, startling revelations in this story uh, that I had to, I had really had to deal with during those times. Uh, some some real issues that I had to work through. Uh, th- this story is going to take place just after. Um, a removal in my life, uh, which I can no longer even dream of doing again. But Christy, if you would, to put that picture up there. I had just cut the mullet off, and I was already kind of in green. Look at that luscious mane of hair on that guy. No, Nobody pay attention to the mustache, okay? Nobody pay attention to that mustache, but man... Look at that party in the back, man, I'm telling you. I can still do that. It's just the business up front that uh, there's very little of. But okay, Christy, go ahead and get that. <laughs> that will derail the rest of it. But my buddies and I decided we wanted to go camping at the family farm. And we'd set up, and we were pretty much survivalists at this point. I mean, there was before YouTube. It was before Bear Grylls. It was before Survivor Man. I mean, we were just primitive folk back then. And after two and a half hours of trying to put the tent up, we all just decide that, hey, it's a nice clear night. We're just going to sleep outside in our sleeping bags. So as we kind of folded in for the night, it was about two, three o'clock in the morning, and we hear this like blood curdling scream 
I mean, just like the most chilling sound that you could ever hear in your life. And you know, us being wise, discerning, 17, 18-year-old young men, we decide that instead of going, you know, you, you know that commercial where it's making fun of the uh, horror movies and the guy, you know, they're in the garage with the chainsaws? You know, the one says, why don't we just get in the running car? I'm like, are you crazy? You know, instead of us getting in our car and leaving and going to, I don't know, shelter, we decide that this needs to be investigated. I mean, just the, just the gnarliest sound you've ever heard in your life. And what we deduced in all of our survival experience is that we were hearing a bobcat. And if you've ever heard a bobcat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you ever heard a bobcat, you realize that it's not the wisest move to go after a bobcat. But yet, here we go on an adventure, so to speak. So we all have weapons, and I say weapons, and I'm talking about 12 to 14-inch tent pegs. And we've got one person that's designated holding the, like, 4 billion lumen flashlight, you know, because we had nothing else good, but, man, we had a flashlight. So we go on this... Lewis and Clark expedition to find this location of where the bobcat was. All right, so we get there, and where we think it's supposed to be, and the bobcat's not there. But we do see some tracks, and you know, in, in my ranger past of tracking, uh, I deduce again that this is definitely a bobcat. I can tell by the print. All right, I didn't get a chance to ask Google. I had to know these things back then, kids. I mean, it's just, it was terrible. But I figured out that this was a bobcat. But it wasn't there anymore. So what do we decide to do? We decide to go look for it because it could not have gotten far. Okay. So all throughout this time, we were going into these places at the farm that we knew that maybe was a hiding spot that was somewhere close around. And, and what we would do is, my, my poor buddy, I'm not going to mention his name, but those of you who know my close friends at the time will know exactly who this person is. But I, we had talked him into being the one to carry the flashlight. So we told him that it was his responsibility to get close to these little nooks and crannies and to shine the light back in there to see if the bobcat was there. Okay. Now, he did it. Fortunately, out of the five or six places that we looked, there was no bobcat. But every time, in every spot, he would bend over there, he would shine that flashlight in there, and inevitably, every time one of us would come up behind him and goose him and yell real big, and he fell for it every time. So the reason I tell you that story is that that was one of the more exciting times in my life that I can remember that I had so many emotions. You know, I was looking for something that I really, really wanted to find, but I kind of didn't want to find at the same time. I really wanted to find it as long as somebody else had to deal with the location of it first instead of me. And the only thing that I can kind of relate that to this, this feeling I have of Ephesians is because of this. Because if any of you know and have read the book of Ephesians, this is not just some fluffy letter from Paul. There are some things that he brings up in here that are difficult. There are some issues and some theological things that he brings up that are not necessarily soft. So I'm like, I'm so excited to look through the book of Ephesians, but also, ooh, look there. And one of those is next week, if you'll read ahead, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Go ahead and read that, you'll see what I mean. But there's a couple others in there, because remember, 
Ephesians is the place where the famous line, wives submit to your husbands, comes in. <laughs> Let's take a moment and pray. <laughs> but here's, here's why it's important. I feel like, and not just this church, and not just churches in our area, but I feel like most definitely the Americanized church, one of the biggest weaknesses in the Americanized church is our biblical literacy. And here's why I also feel like it's important. My, my preaching style, I'll always lean towards expository preaching, which means that you take a section and you go through verse by verse, you put it in context, you look at the culture, you look at how it was relevant then, you look at how it's relevant now. And one of the reasons that I believe exposition is so important is because when we go through an entire book and we exposit it, these are things that we can no longer ignore. Because what we've done, what we've historically done is like, nope, don't like that, so I'm just going to skip right on over it and I'm going to brush it under the rug and we're not even going to deal with it. Church, can I tell you we're at a time that we can no longer afford to skip over sections in God's Word? That God gave us the whole Word. He gave us everything, and it's to be rightly divided. It's to be talked about. It's to be taught. It's to be instructed. It's to be consumed. It's to be memorized. But yet we've been guilty of worrying about how it will offend someone, or we've been worried that people may not like what it says, so we've just decided we need to skip over it. When we go, go through a book entirely, and we go through it verse by verse, and we go through it intentionally, we can no longer do that. Because you know that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will pierce you through this time. It will pierce your heart. So be prepared for that. Inevitably, I'm incredibly excited about the book of Ephesians. But there's also some parts in it where I'm going, is there a bobcat in there? Is there a bobcat in there anywhere? So here's a little bit of the reason that I kind of want us to look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, so let me, let me answer some whys for us this morning. The first, the first why, and, and if you're here with us, um, and if you're taking notes, please be ready to take notes. There's a lot of information in this message. If you're on the website, then you can go to our message notes, fccgrayson.com backslash notes, and you'll find it there. So I'm just telling you this is going to be a lot of information in this first message. So there's going to be a couple reasons why, not just yet on that one, Christy. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll take that slide down, and I'll get to that here in just a moment. But here's some whys. Number one is it deepens our understanding of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, it talks about the unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus, in this gospel. And as I've already made, you know, kind of made reference to, the world does not need soft preaching. The world does not need soft instruction. The church does not need this. And in a time where it's more acceptable to tickle ears and talk about behavior modification and tell you what you want to hear and how to live your best life now, the gospel can tend to be compromised. But the book of Ephesians will not allow us to compromise the news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be things that we lovingly embrace and joyfully embrace, or if it's something that kind of pierces us a little bit 
and kinds of off- kind of offends us. You know, one of the, one of my favorite sayings I heard someone say one time is they said that you know what the truth will indeed set you free, but most of the time the truth will offend you first. If you're needing to be set free by the truth, most of the time the truth will offend you. So it helps us in our understanding of the gospel. It also magnifies the physical church, the importance of the physical church. In verse three or chapter three, verse ten, it talks about the manifold wisdom of God being made known, and it says that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is known. Now we've I'm gonna pause right here for just a moment. We've said this from the very beginning of the pandemic, and this is still true. So take this statement out of the most love and the most compassion and as caring as I can possibly say it. But we, we've said it from day one that not being together physically as a church family is not okay. All right, We understand this as a means of safety in a pandemic. We get it. We have taken this very seriously and we know we're still in the throes of this thing. But we also know that there are elements of hope being introduced into our culture about maybe us starting to see the other side of this thing. So I'm not getting on to anyone. Please don't take that as a rebuke. But understand that when we do get to the other side of this thing, we will still be offering virtual content. But when it is safe for everyone to return back to church, it's not okay not to return back to church. And that's not Ben's opinion, that's Bible. Do not forsake together the assembling together. Okay? So understand, middle of the pandemic, we're still in it. It's okay. We get it. We've made a lot of efforts. I've lost a lot more hair in the stress of dealing with technology. But from very word go, we've understood that when it's safe, being detached from the family is not okay. It's just not. And Ephesians will show us that. The next reason is that Ephesians may be the most relevant, or the, maybe not the most relevant, that's a bad word. It may be the most contemporary of any of the New Testament writings that we see Paul writing. This, this isn't a message of correction. We see Corinthians, we see Romans, we see Thessalonians, we see all of these other letters that Paul has written, and we see that there is a corrective or Paul making strong suggestions, or there's this situation going on, or there's that situation going on. You need to address this. We don't find that in the book of Ephesians. But what it does do is it throws out to us the concepts of deep-seated theology that the church needs to be built upon. Now, everybody kind of cringes at that word sometimes when we say the word theology because we may have had a bad taste in our mouth. But folks, Theology, what you believe about God, is critically important. And Ephesians will challenge us in our foundational theology, not only as individuals, but as a church. And then, lastly, this book is filled with grace-filled encouragement. Paul writes this letter to folks just like you and me. It's written to regular folks. It's not written to religious leaders. It's not written to priests. It's not written to... It's written 
to the people who are navigating each and every day, day in, day out, mundane life. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to raise my kid? Can I keep my kid alive through their teenage years? How can I keep from choking my kid through their teenage years? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better employee? Should I get a different job? Should I look for other employment? Should I stick this out? Is this worth... Paul writes words of grace and encouragement to people just like you and I. What this book also does is it gives us some answers to basic Christian questions. And, and Christy, if you would, go ahead and put that slide up there. I don't know how visible it's going to be on the screen. But it answers questions like, why worship? Why do we worship? That's chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. What should we pray for? in chapter 1, 15 through 23, and chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It answers the question, what is so amazing about grace in chapter 2? Who are we in chapter 2? Why is church a big deal in chapter 3? How can we be unified in chapter 4? How do new people, new creations live? How can we imitate God? What is God's plan for marriage? How should we parent how should we see our vocation? And how do we fight? These are just some of the questions that are going to be answered in this, in this study. Now, I want to go ahead and ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians if you've not already. So Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's, let's go through this as quickly as I can this morning and, and lay a little bit more of a foundation and introduction into this letter uh, that Paul wrote. So verse 1, first word, Paul. That's the author. Now, if you dig a little bit deeper into this study and study Ephesians, you will find that there are some scholars, some theologians, who believe that it was not Paul who wrote this. That it was actually an element of pseudepigrapha here that someone else wrote this letter for Paul. Now, there's so many reasons to debunk this, and I'm not going to go into to all of them, but number one, the early church just totally rejected works that were written by other people in the name of apostles. Okay? There's a book called um, The Gospel of Peter that in its foundation, in its theology, and in its doctrine, it's very sound, but the church, early church rejected it because someone wrote it in the name of Peter. It wasn't actually Peter who wrote it. Then there's another book called The Acts of Paul that actually is quite loaded with heresy, to be honest with you. But the early church rejected it not only on that grounds, but also because someone else wrote it. One of the elders in the church wrote it in the name of Paul. So the church did not have a history of accepting and canonizing works and books that were written by someone else under someone else's name. And actually, I don't know how this happened because it wasn't until like the 1820s that there was even people who began to question the authorship of this book. 
So Paul, and we're going to see evidences all throughout this study of Paul's authorship in this. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for just a moment. A little bit of history into that term of apostle. There were three basic types of apostles back in the biblical times. Three general references to the word apostle. Number one, the apostle that the apostles that were chosen by Jesus to follow him. The 12 disciples. Those are referenced as apostles. Then there's another group that included the 12 apostles plus a few select individuals and I mean very few select individuals who were included in that grouping. Paul being one of them. Remember the road to Damascus, he was called by Jesus in that encounter. And then you had a general apostle, which basically could have meant that an apostle was someone who was sent with a message to a church or a message into a village, or they were sent on mission into a particular place. They didn't have any hierarchical standing within the religious community. They were just commissioned to deliver a message or be on mission in a certain location. So Paul is saying that I'm an apostle. And then he gets, so he's establishing the authority. This is who I am. This is my authority from Jesus Christ. Then he recognizes the source of the authority in Christ Jesus. Now I think it's important for us to pause right here and understand something, just how big of a statement this really is. Because I believe that this shows us the radical element of God's salvation. I believe this shows us the true miraculous nature of when God saves a soul. When the Holy Spirit convicts you and you give your heart to Jesus Christ, I have always said and hopefully will always say until my dying breath that there is no greater miracle than when the Holy Spirit convicts you and saves us. It's the greatest miracle. It's the most radical miracle. It's the most mind-blowing, creative miracle that you can ever experience, and that's someone giving their heart to Jesus Christ. And here's why I say I, I believe that Paul understood this because Paul was about as far opposite of a believer as you could be. He actually persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. He run down the name of Jesus. He was actually part of the religious leadership that put Jesus on the cross that falsely accused him. That was Paul's background. So Paul's saying that my authority as an apostle doesn't come from anything I've done. It doesn't come from how I'm qualified. It doesn't, care. It doesn't uh, mean that I'm more intelligent. My intelligence has nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, if anyone would be immediately disqualified because of their past, it should be Paul. But yet here he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ. My friends, if you're hearing this and you've held on for years saying that I'm going to wait till I can get my life straightened up to give my heart to Jesus Christ to respond to that call, hear me. You will never be right enough to come to Jesus. You will never get your act together enough to come to Jesus. You'll never be righteous enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be holy enough. You will always fall short of the mark to come to God. But that's the beauty of amazing grace. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ coming and being that sacrifice for us. If he can save Paul, I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your present is. If he can do it for Paul, if he can do it for me, he can do it for you, my friend. And there's no reason to wait any longer. 
to respond to his calling on your life. So as we look, he says, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Then he goes on to say, to the saints who are in Ephesus. I want to just take a quick moment and clarify this word saint. We have uh, this kind of this early church, Romanized kind of, um, you know, elevated view of this word saint. This word saint that Paul's using here just means believers. It doesn't mean someone within an elevated religious system. It doesn't mean someone who is more holy than anybody else. It doesn't mean someone who has shown their life full of piety, piety to be far better, head and shoulders above everyone else. No. Paul's saying that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're a saint. So not only was it to the church then, and to everyone in the church then, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've repented, you've given your heart to Jesus, you've been baptized, and you are following after Him, guess what? You're a saint. And this letter is directed at you. So it says, at Ephesus. Now let's take a, a few moments and let's look at this. And, and like I said, guys, I know this is a lot of information, but this is really important information to set, set the tone and kind of set the scene in our understanding as we go through this letter. This look at Ephesus. Now there's some people, if you'll study this, there's some people who believe that this letter wasn't necessarily written to Ephesus. Okay? They believe that it was just a general letter which was passed around the church. And I don't disagree with that. Because this Ephesus was a large city in the province of Asia Minor, and it did circulate to all the churches in that area. Some of the original documents include Ephesus. Some of the original documents do not. Okay, So I'm just making you aware that as you look at it, you will run into some going, huh, they don't even believe it was to Ephesus. This was a circular letter. And Paul penned it. And here's, here's going to be my stance on it. From an original text, from all of the research that I've done, I'm not a smart man, I don't claim to be. But from what I can gather, I believe that the Bible says that he wrote it to the church at Ephesus. That's where he wrote it to, was the church at Ephesus. So a little bit of a history into the town of Ephesus. It was the third or fourth, according to which source you go for, largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a port city, a Mediterranean Sea port city, that was a conglomeration was just this melting pot of cultures of races of ideology of religion of of practices and beliefs all of these things were coming together at this town named Ephesus and it was just this massive massive city probably around 250,000 people now we think of it today and I mean let's face it we live in grace and we're not impressed by 250,000 people but we we don't think that this would be a major, booming metropolitan place at 250,000, but back then, this was a sprawling city that, that covered a large amount of land. And at the time that Paul wrote this, which he wrote it in between 60 and 62 AD, while he was in prison in Rome, he writes this letter. And at this point, the port had dried up. Okay, so the trade had all but stopped in the city of Ephesus. So what they began to rely on then was tourism. 
That was their number one source of economic revenue was tourism. And the tourists were coming to see one thing. There was an ancient seven wonders of the world temple there. And that was the temple of Artemis in the Greek or Diana in Roman. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mythology. That's it. So Artemis in the Greek, which is what we're going to refer to it for her, she was the goddess of sexuality. And the temple of Artemis was built there. It was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. And everybody, all the way down from the innkeepers to the restaurant owners to the vendors to the merchandise sellers, everybody benefited from this temple being there because everyone still came because it was a carnal paradise. It was a place where you could come, and if you wanted fleshly lust fulfilled, boom, Ephesus was your place. Okay? So that's just kind of setting the scene for us a little bit into what Ephesus looked like at the time. Prostitution flourished there. There was not a cultural or a societal or a religious bent against fleshly immorality because that's what the city thrived off of. So I want us to look just really quickly at what really led us. Thomas and I both, kind of over the past several months, have been leaning very, very much so towards the book of Ephesians. And, and I'll show you kind of what, what did this. If you would, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6, through 7, I'm sorry. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you see that? Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, that, for a church, it's pretty good. You're doing the works you're supposed to be doing. You're not 
putting up with teaching that you shouldn't be, if it's false, you're, you're, you're not putting up with it. You're not listening to it. And matter of fact, if people come to you and they're proclaiming to be something they're not, you're, you're not, you're not dealing with that. You're, you're, you're putting them out. You're doing this stuff that you're supposed to do. You've been enduring and bearing up and you have been persevering. But this is what I have against you. You have neglected your first love. Now, don't make any mistake. I'm not saying that I believe that we as a church have neglected our first love. But I will tell you that, you know, listen, this is an amazing church, and that's not pastoral rhetoric. I say that to everyone, whether they know that I'm the pastor here or not. But this church is an absolutely amazing church full of absolutely amazing people who love their church, who love their church family, who love their community, and do so much to serve them. But family, hear me clearly this morning. We cannot lose our focus on our first love. We cannot take our focus off of Jesus Christ. Because we can do all the good works we want to. We can put up all the sound doctrine we want to and, and, and embrace right teaching. We can be patient. We can suffer. We can persevere. But if we do not love Christ and love Him first, we have scriptural example that He holds that against us. It's not about your works. It's not solely about the doctrine you put up. All of these things are incredibly important. Make no mistake about that. And I believe that in so many ways, so many churches have neglected these things. But if we are not focused on our first love. It's worthless. It's meaningless. We turn into the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. We have to make sure that our focus is on Christ and Christ alone. And that everything we say, everything we do, whether it be in here on Sunday mornings, whether it be a youth group, kids ministry, whether it be out in the community, if we're doing some type of service project, or if we are just living our lives day in and day out, our number one goal has to make sure that our first love remains our first love. And that is what the book of Ephesians teaches us. So I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up this morning. Now, as we go through this, you're going to notice that this letter, this book of Ephesians, six chapters, if you read it out loud, it takes about 20 minutes, roughly. But this is one of the most life-changing books that you could ever study. And what you'll see is that the first three chapters, it's kind of divided up into two sections. The first three chapters deal and shine a spotlight on what God has done for us about in Christ. We will see that over and over and over again in this book about in Christ. So chapters 1 through 3 are all about what he's done for us. And then verse, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are about how we're supposed to live that out. And that's not done that way by happenstance. Because our first priority should always be being in Christ 
And then we live from that place. We don't try to find our identity. We don't try to find him everywhere else. We find him and our identity in Christ. And then we live from there. This morning I want to give you an opportunity that if you're here, you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, and you can feel that pull, I urge you to respond to that this morning because that's the Holy Spirit convicting you and drawing you unto Jesus Christ. If you're at home and you're in the same situation, reach out to us, please, whether it be on the website, phone, whatever. Get in touch with us and we'll get back with you as quickly as we can. Because time... Time is promised to no one. And I think that we've learned that lesson of how little control that we actually have over our own lives in this past year.